0: Hello, my name is Ho Jun Yun. You're listening to Medicine on the Way. Autumn in New York. Why does it seem so inviting? Autumn in New York. It is November 2013. This is episode number 30 and today's topic is Multiple Sclerosis. This is the second episode of Multiple Sclerosis. In previous episode, we discussed epidemiology, pathogenesis, etiology, and clinical findings of multiple sclerosis. In this episode, we're going to start with diagnostic criteria of multiple sclerosis and we'll move on to treatment options for multiple sclerosis. So if this is your first time listening to my podcast, make sure you listen or start with a previous episode and it's number 29 so you have some ideas of what we're talking in this episode. As a brief review, we defined multiple sclerosis as an autoimmune disease characterized by focal demyelination in the white matter of the brain, spinal cord, and optic nerves. We also talked about gliosis, which is proliferating astrocytes in the lesions. And this lesion consists of inflammatory mononuclear cells that are mostly T cells and macrophages. We went over the genes that make patients susceptible to multiple sclerosis and autoimmunity as the main mechanism of multiple sclerosis. The clinical signs um, are, were described in previous episode, and there were four subtypes under multiple sclerosis, relapse and remitting multiple sclerosis, or RRMS, primary progressive multiple sclerosis, PPMS, secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, SPMS, and progressive and relapsing multiple sclerosis, PRMS. Typical findings from MRI and evoked potentials were um, discussed and also uh, findings from cerebral spinal fluid uh, were also explained. Now we have all this information. How are we going to diagnose multiple sclerosis? Definitive diagnosis of multiple sclerosis requires evidence on examination of at least two lesions involving different areas of the central white matter, and two or more multiple sclerosis attacks. The diagnosis of multiple sclerosis is probable, it's not certain, probable, if there is evidence of two or more lesions, but only one attack, or evidence of one lesions with two or more attacks. Now, you can think to make a definitive diagnosis, there are two components. One is, there should be at least two or more lesions involving different areas of central white matter, and the other is, there have to be two or more MS attacks. If your patient is lacking any of these components, the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis is probable rather than definitive. Therefore, more studies are needed to make the diagnosis definitive. In the case with only one attack, dissemination in time has to be demonstrated by MRI to make the diagnosis definitive. What it means by dissemination in time is to prove There might have been an attack in the past or maybe another attack in the future. Dissemination in time is demonstrated by 1. Presence of asymptomatic gadolinium-enhancing and non-enhancing lesions at any time on MRI. 2. A new T2 and or gadolinium-enhancing lesion on follow-up MRI, regardless of its timing with reference to the baseline scan. Or 3. Waiting for a second attack. In the case in which there are more than two attacks, but only one lesion, dissemination in space has to be demonstrated. Dissemination in space is demonstrated by one one or more T2 lesion on MRI in at least two out of four MS typical regions of the uh, of the central nervous system, um, and that is periventricular, juxtacortical, infratentorial, or spinal cord, or two waiting for another attack that involves a different uh, central nervous system site. Now, it may may sound somewhat confusing to memorize uh, dissemination in time or in space, but if you know um, what really defines a definitive diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, all these terms make sense. Again, a definitive diagnosis of multiple sclerosis requires at least two or more lesions involving different areas of central white matter, and two or more multiple sclerosis attacks. The diagnosis is probable if we are lacking any of these two components. So basically, by demonstrating um, a lesions um, in the white matter or waiting for another attack, we are trying to supplement the components that are um, lacking to make a definitive diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Lastly, if there is only one lesion and one attack, so we are lacking two components, it is called clinically isolated syndrome. In clinically isolated syndrome or CIS, both dissemination in time and space have to be demonstrated, as just discussed above. Instead of the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis um, is probable or definitive, patients in a clinically isolated syndrome are at risk of developing multiple sclerosis. So, beta interferon or glatiramer acetate therapy are offered to delay progression of the disease. Follow-up MRI should be considered in 6 to 12 months to detect any new lesion. Treatment for multiple sclerosis is, in general, divided into three categories. 1. Treatment of acute attacks. 2. Treatment reducing the activity of multiple sclerosis. and 3. Symptomatic therapy. Partial recovery from acute exacerbations can reasonably be achieved, but there is no means of stopping progression of the disorder. About 50% of all patients with multiple sclerosis are without any significant disability for the first 10 years, but eventually some disability would occur. Glucocorticoids are given to manage either first attacks or or acute exacerbations. They reduce the severity and shorten the duration of attacks, but the extent of recovery is unchanged. There are no known benefits with long-term treatment with corticosteroids, and it does not prevent further relapses. Plasmapheresis is sometimes helpful in patients with severe relapses, unresponsive to corticosteroids. There are seven drugs that are commonly used to treat the activity of multiple sclerosis. Interferon beta or glatiramer acetate is the most commonly accepted first-line therapy. If multiple sclerosis attacks are frequent or progressive disability is present, changes in treatment should be considered regardless of which agent it is. These drugs may reduce the relapse rate, central nervous system inflammation, and prolong the time needed to develop a certain disability. However, the symptoms that are already established do not respond well to the drugs. Interferon beta reduces the attack rate and improves disease severity shown by MRI documented disease burden. Interferon beta is considered in patients with either RRMS or SPMS or relapsing-remitting MS or secondary-progressive MS. The mechanisms of interferon beta include down-regulating expression of major histocompatibility molecules on antigen-presenting cells inhibiting pro-inflammatory and increasing regulatory cytokine levels, inhibition of T-cell proliferation, and limiting the trafficking of inflammatory cells in the central nervous system. Common side effects of interferon beta therapy include flu-like symptoms such as fever, chills, and myalgia, and mild abnormalities on routine lab evaluations such as elevated liver function tests or lymphocytopenia. Glatiramer acetate reduces the attack rate in RRMS. The mechanisms of its action include inducting antigen-specific suppressor T cells, binding to major histocompatibility molecules, and displacing bound myelin basic protein, and changing the balance between pro-inflammatory and regulatory cytokines. Some patients may experience flushing, chest tightness, dyspnea, palpitations, and anxiety after injection. Natalizumab significantly reduces the attack rate and improves the disease severity of multiple sclerosis, and the drug is well-tolerated. Natalizumab keeps lymphocyte from binding to endothelial cells and prevent them from penetrating the blood-brain barrier and entering the um, central nervous system. However, in 0.2% of cases treated with natalizumab for more than two years may develop progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. Thus, natalizumab is recommended only for those who have failed other therapies or with aggressive multiple sclerosis. Due to the risk of um, progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, natalizumab is recommended for 12 to 18 months since the risk is low during the first year of the treatment. Fingolimod reduces the attack rate and significantly improves all measures of disease severity in multiple sclerosis. It is believed to act by trapping lymphocytes in the periphery and preventing lymphocytes from reaching to the brain. Fingolimod is a sphingosine 1-phosphate inhibitor, so it inhibits the progress of lymphocytes from the secondary lymphoid organs such as lymph nodes and spleen. Moreover, uh, sphingosine 1-phosphate receptors are widely presented in the central nervous system tissue, and fingolimod has its central effects because it can cross the blood-brain barrier. Side effects of fingolimod include elevated liver function test, lymphopenia, first-degree heart block, and bradycardia. Mitozentron is useful in SPMS, PRMS, and worsening RRMS, which is presented by neurologic status remaining significantly abnormal between MS attacks. The mechanisms of mitoxentron are intercalating into DNA and producing both strand breaks and Interstrained crosslinks, interfering with RNA synthesis, and inhibiting topoisomerase 2 which involves in DNA repair. Because mitoxanthron is cardiotoxic, inducing cardiomyopathy, reduced left ventricular ejection fraction, and irreversible congestive heart failure. A cumulative dose more than 140 mg per uh, meter square is not recommended. Mitozentron also carries risk of acute leukemia and amenorrhea. Symptomatic therapies should be given to control the symptoms presented with multiple sclerosis. For spasticity and spasm, treatments include physical therapy, diazepine, baclofen, and um, theziadine. Weakness, especially difficulty with ambulation, can be treated by potassium channel blockers such as 4-aminopyridine and 3,4-diaminopyridine. Ataxia and tremor that is often intractable can be treated by wrist weights, clonazepam, propranolol, or odensitron. Pain is treated with anticonvulsants such as carbamazepine, uh, phenytoin, gabapentin, or pregabalin, antidepressants such as amitriptyline, nortriptyline, um, desipramine, or venlafaxine, or pain management. Bladder dysfunction is managed by evening fluid restriction, periodic voluntary voiding, uh, propantheline bromide, oxybutynin, or hyoscyamine sulfate. Constipation may be prevented with high-fiber diets and fluids. Depression should be treated by the tricyclic antidepressants such as amitriptyline, nortriptyline, or desipramine, or non-tricyclic antidepressants such as fenlafaxine, or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors such as fluoxetine or sertraline. Fatigue that is primarily caused by multiple sclerosis may be treated with amantadine, methylphenidate, or modafinil. Sexual dysfunction can be helped with sildenafil, telafil, or um, verdenafil. Okay, this is it for this episode. If this is your first time listening to my podcast, make sure you listen to my previous podcast, which is number twenty-nine, because it covers the first portion of multiple sclerosis. Thank you for listening. My name is Ho Jun Yoon. This is Medicine on the Way. I've got a song that I sing and I can make the ring. Anytime I move my finger, lucky me, can you see, I am in love. Life's a wonderful thing, as long as I've got that string. I feel silly so and